Good morning. We are glad that you can be with us on the first Sunday of Advent. And as you can see, we're going to be doing a, our Advent series is called Holidays. Um, and it's this time of year, I think, right at the beginning, when you're looking over your calendar and you see programs and dinners and school gatherings and church gatherings and family gatherings and angel tree and this program and that program, it's enough to put you into a little bit of a, of a daze. It's enough to, to push you over the edge. And so that's why we're calling this holidays. We're going to talk about this most wonderful time of year that sometimes can be hectic and sometimes confusing and sometimes can leave us a little bit like a deer in the headlights. I know it's the Christmas season because this week Carla prepared uh, her annual Christmas dinner for the pastors and board. She has done this. I think this was her 29th year of making uh, dinner for the board and pastors. And so that's always, that always kind of consumes our house when she's getting ready for that. I'm glad and thankful to report to you that her dinner was not like the dinner that I heard a lady made, similar uh, a situation where she had a fancy dinner for, for her, her friends and guests around Christmas time in Savannah, Georgia. She made the, the dinner, or the, the entree for her dinner. Thankfully, this was not Carla's entree. The entree for her dinner was crab salad. And so she had made her famous crab salad and she had placed it on the, on the dining room table and she went back into the kitchen to get a few more goodies to bring out. And when she came out of the kitchen and she looked in her dining room table, she saw that her cat had jumped up on the table and was eating some of her crab salad. Well, it was, you know, the guests were going to arrive. She didn't have any more supplies. She didn't know what to do. So she grabbed the cat. She tossed him outside. She kind of took the area where the cat was eating and scooped it away. And she smoothed it all over. And she determined she wasn't going to tell anyone or divulge her secret. Well, her guests arrived and the, the dinner was served and everyone enjoyed it. And somewhere in the, in, the, in, the, in the party there, she went out into the kitchen to grab something. She looked out in her backyard and she saw her cat dead as a doorknob. And she thought, oh no, my crab salad. My crab salad, you know, poisoned the cat and we've all eaten it. And so she didn't know what to do. She knew she had to confess her her secret, so she went to them about the cat, and he jumped up on the table and ate a little bit of the crab salad, now he's dead a doornail in the backyard. And they all kind of turned a little green and decided they better head to the hospital. And so all of her guests went to the hospital emergency room, and all of them got their stomachs pumped. Merry Christmas. She got home from that terrible ordeal and pulled into her house. She hadn't been home but for a minute. And the doorbell rang, and she went to the doorbell, and it was her neighbor boy next door. And he said, oh, I am so sorry. I said, I was late for curfew, and I drove into the driveway, and your cat ran right in front of me. And I hit your cat, and I was so upset. I didn't know what to do, so I just tossed him in the backyard. I, I feel terrible. And she said to that boy, you don't feel half as bad as I do. That story has nothing to do with anything other than that, the fact that I don't think anyone had their stomach pumped after Carla's dinner. I think we were all good. We are squarely in the Christmas season. We've already gone through Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. I think next week is, you know, Credit Card Wednesday. That's all coming. We're in the season. Like it or not, here we are. And for some of us, it is a, 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 a knot, 
I mean, we talk about it being the most wonderful time of the year, but all of these things, sometimes this Christmas season, not only is busy and hectic and costly and all those other things, but sometimes it's distressing. And so we're going to talk about a little bit of that this, this Christmas season, and we're going to use Joseph, uh, uh, the earthly father of Jesus, kind of as our, our guide, and we'll look through his eyes through this Christmas story. We really don't know a lot about Joseph. We're playing such a central role in Jesus' life. We don't know that much about him. Um, we, we know in, in Mark, or Luke's gospel, rather, Luke describes uh, Jesus this way. Jesus was the son, or so it was thought, of Joseph. And Luke goes on to tell in his gospel story, gives us all the reasons why everyone thought that Jesus was Joseph's son, but, but Luke's gospel account is saying, but he's not Joseph's son, he's the son of God. Matt, uh, jo- Joseph's story is told mostly in Matthew's gospel. In fact, the gospel of Mark doesn't even mention him at all. And he's not mentioned in the book of Acts, and he's not mentioned in any, any, any of the epistles at all. Joseph is never quoted. Mary is quoted. Even the nameless shepherds are quoted but you'll never see a quote from Joseph in the Bible. In fact, his story, Joseph, is only mentioned in 16 verses in the Bible, just 16. There's a lot of other people, people you've never heard of, that are mentioned in more than 16 verses. But, but that's all that Joseph, that's the, all the ink that Joseph got. Most Bible scholars think that Joseph died before Jesus' earthly ministry began when Jesus was around 30 years old. The last time we hear from Joseph is when Jesus was a a 12-year-old boy, and that's the story when when Joseph and Mary and and Jesus went to Jerusalem, and and Jesus went out to the temple, was kind of hanging out of the temple, and Joseph and Mary lost track of him, didn't know where he was, were a little miffed at him when they found him. That's the last time we hear from Joseph. So what do we know about Joseph for certain? Well, we know that he was a carpenter. And we know he was a carpenter not from the Christmas story. We know he was a carpenter from when Jesus went back to Nazareth to preach in his hometown in Matthew 13. And the Bible records uh, the townspeople, the, the original Nazarenes, I suppose, that said this, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? Aren't his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where did this man get these things? There's two words for carpenter in the Greek language. The first word is architectnon. It's where we get the word architect from. And an architecton is is someone who was kind of a master builder, maybe a a construction supervisor. If they had big projects, they could be quite wealthy. The second word is the word that's used for Joseph, tecton. And a tecton technically is a worker with wood. The problem is around Nazareth, there wasn't much wood. And so most of the houses around Nazareth were either mud houses or made out of stone. And so uh, uh, it wasn't a a carpenter in the sense that he was building houses. Probably what Joseph was doing was building maybe doors, shutters, maybe yoke for for oxen or, or maybe a table or two, something like that. A tecton around Nazareth in particular would not have been a very highly uh, skilled job. It wasn't one that was thought of very highly at all. It wasn't a noteworthy profession. When we were at Richfield, we decided, we bought our house. That was the first house that we owned, and we had come from a a rather large parsonage, actually that that Marilyn Anthony had got the designs for. They never lived in that house, but she got the designs for it. We lived there when we were at Roseville, and when we moved up to pastor at the Richfield Church of the Nazarene, we bought our own house. 
And I thought, well, we don't need that big of a house. You know, we, we, we want to downsize and be simple. And so we were in our new house. This is probably why afterwards Carla looked at 60 houses. Because we were in that new house about three days and realized that our boys are getting bigger and this house was way smaller and, and we were in trouble. So we lived with that for, for a few years and decided finally to add on. And so I had, had talked to a few uh, carpenter friends of mine and they, they decided to help out with that. And we had different people that helped out with that whole project. And, and, and through that, I grew a new appreciation for carpenters because I can't do anything. And I would ask them if I could help out and they would say, yeah, why don't you pick up the trash? Why don't you sweep the, the room out? Something, nothing with power tools, nothing with sharp objects for me, not at all. But the carpenters, a, a good carpenter, they're, they're invaluable. They're, they're a great help. They can, they can really, they're artists in many, many ways. But, but in Nazareth, a tecton would not have been thought so highly of. Uh, there was no influence, no status. You get the sense of that in that Matthew 13 passage when those townspeople said, isn't, isn't he the carpenter's son? Carpenter's son can't do anything. Carpenter's son, that's a... a uh, they can't, surely can't be the Messiah, not the carpenter's son. And remember who's saying this. This is the people of Nazareth who are saying this. They're not exactly Phi Beta Kappas themselves. Uh, when when, when uh, uh, Jesus' disciples, Philip was telling, when Philip was telling Nathaniel about him becoming the Messiah, John records that, that whole conversation. And Philip found Nathaniel, told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about the one the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathaniel's response, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response, come and see. Nazareth was the lowest of the low, the rejects of the rejects. That's how people viewed it. Incidentally, here's your church history lesson, your Nazarene church history. That's the reason why Nazarene, Church of the Nazarene, was called Church of the Nazarene. It's because our early founders wanted our church to be associated with those that the rest of society had rejected. They wanted to be known as the church that cared for the outcasts, the church that cared for those that the rest of society said are worthless and nobodies. And so those early leaders said, no, they're not nobodies. God loves them. God loves, loves even those on the edges of society. God loves those, especially those that struggle through life. And so that's why we became the Church of the Nazarene, because we wanted to identify just as Jesus identified with the lowest of the low. So, so Joseph was in a low-class position, he lived in a no-class, low-down, podunk city. He really didn't have much going for him. Now, somebody might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was from the house in the line of David. He had some royal blood flowing through his, his veins. That's true, he did, he did, he did. Fourteen times removed. David was his great, 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 great grandfather. Having, having David's blood kind of flow through his veins sure didn't get him anything. And Joseph and Mary, as you know, were very, very poor. Didn't get help him financially. When they went to Bethlehem, as you know, they stayed in the stable. Didn't get him better accommodations. You know, having, having David in your family tree, my dad would have said, having David in his family tree and a dollar would have got him a coffee at McDonald's. My, my family, my mom's side of the family, they claim... Take us or leave it, because I, I can't prove it. But they've always claimed that George Washington is in, my, as a, in our, their family line. 
which is great, but it doesn't help me any. You know, the IRS never has written me a letter and said, since George Washington is your great, 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 great uncle, you know, you don't have to pay this year. That's never once happened. And for David, or for, for Joseph, that really wasn't much of a benefit whatsoever. So he was poor. His job had no status. The town he lived in is synonymous for, for the despised. Even his name, Joseph. Utterly ordinary Joseph. If you had a large enough family in the first century, one of your boys probably was named Joseph, named after one of Jacob's sons, a hero of the Old Testament. There were plenty of Josephs running around. And it's to this utterly ordinary guy that God chose to help shape and form the life of Jesus. Well, what lessons can we learn from, from Joseph? What, what lessons can we learn from this guy who was looked over, who was belittled, who was, 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 was overlooked, was not successful really, was not popular, was not famous by any means? A nobody. What can we learn from a nobody? Well, Joseph's story tells us that nobody's a nobody. That God has no nobodies. Zero. That he knows you. He knows all about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He, he knows you. And there is nowhere that you can go that he has not already been. And I tell you that not to, to, to liken God to a mob, a mob boss or something that says, says you can run but you can't hide. That's not it. No matter where you go, no matter where you go, God Almighty has been there and is there. You, 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 you can't outrun him. You can't try to, 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 to escape his love and care. People have tried. Plenty of people have tried. They've run away. They've made poor choices. They've made, made the, a mess of their life. But don't take that to mean that God is, is not chasing them after them. And some, some might think that there comes a point where you've committed so many sins or you've done so many horrible things or you've said so many uh, uh, blasphemous things that God throws his hands up in the air and says, all right, I'm done with you. I think it's just the opposite. I think it's to those people who are trying to run away, who are trying to get away from the truth, who, who don't think that, 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 that at some point God must slow down after them. I think God, I think God hits the accelerator at that point. And I think, I think you, you can't run fast enough to out run God's love. You can't make him turn away. You're not that powerful, quite frankly. And the prodigal son story shows us that, that the, the father waits and, 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 and longs for and waits and looks and can't wait for his son to return. And the point of that story is they're, 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 God doesn't have nobodies. He doesn't have throwaway people. No one is worthless. He only has children. We're told in the Bible that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd only has two kinds of sheep. Sheep that are in the fold and sheep that he's out actively looking and pursuing. That's all that he has, two types of sheep. Now, I don't know which type you are, but that's it. There's the sheep in the fold. There's the sheep that he's pursuing. Jesus loves every single one of us. That's the point. I met a man a few, few a little while ago who, who claimed to be an atheist. I really don't think he is, quite frankly. And we talked about this and that and some of his ideas of faith. And, and I think, I think deep down he really wants to believe. I think he has a lot of questions. I think he has a lot of doubts. And I told him, you know, God's not afraid of your questions. And he's not afraid of your doubts. 
And, and Jesus said, said, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. Jesus says, seek after me, baby, seek after me. You'll find. And, and I think the point is for that, and the reason why that passage is so loved by, by so many of us, is that we know exactly what that means. We've all sinned, the Bible says. We've all been knocking. We've all been, been on the outside looking in. And just like this Joseph story tells us, we're not nobodies. That God knows where we are, that God cares for us, that God loves us. And he takes our questions and our worries and our doubts and our, and, and our, uh, our confusion sometimes, the whole ball of wax that makes up you. He knows you and he loves you. Let me, let me address, you know, every week we have online viewers. So let me address our folks at home. Sometimes our online viewers are, uh, in our live stream, are, are home, sick, you know, they've, they've got something and they don't want to contaminate the rest of us and so they stay home. And sometimes they're traveling uh, like, like Carla and I were a, f- a few weeks back and we tuned in when we were on the road. I think we were somewhere in Kentucky when, when, when we were tuning into the service. And sometimes our online viewers are folks that are just kind of checking us out. And quite frankly, if, 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 if I did not have a church home and if I did not know uh, you know, if I didn't know the difference between a nasty green and a Nazarene, I'd probably check us out too. And so I would, I would, you know, just kind of tune in and see, are they, are they, are they, you know, handling snakes up on the platform? What are they doing at that place? So I'd do that too. So if that's you, uh, I'm glad you're tuning in. And I want you to know, if you don't know anything else, I want you to know this. Sometimes I think what, what happens is folks just kind of stick their toe in the water to kind of test us out. In some ways, test God out. And, and, and again, if that's you, know this. God loves you. God cares for you. God wants to be close to you. He, is, he wants to be in a relationship with you. He has not forgotten you. He has not uh, 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 left you in any way. He longs to be in a relationship with you. That you are not a nobody. That's true for our folks at home. That's true for us here. And Joseph shows us that. God has no nobodies. And Joseph shows us that no one is unvaluable. That's not a word. No, let me flip that around to be positive. Everyone is valuable. Everyone is worth it. Everyone has a place at the table. Everyone. Now there's some in this room, or maybe even at home, that don't believe me. And you've thought, well, I've done some things that I'm not proud of. or I, I've had things done to me that have, 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 have beaten me up and have left me full of doubt and, and worry. Maybe you're battling depression and it can be sunny outside, but, but it's horrible on the inside. Maybe you've been told you're worthless so long that you believe it. Maybe you've, you've been told that whatever you did in your past was so bad that God has, has hates you or, or has forgotten you or something like that. Listen, the one lesson from Joseph, this nobody from a nowhere town from a, from a nowhere, with a nowhere job tells us that God chose him. You don't have to be exceptional. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be popular. You, you can live on the opposite side of the tracks. See, an utterly ordinary Joe, God used in extraordinary ways. Every one of us, think of this, every one of us is created in the image of God. God doesn't make junk. He doesn't make worthless things. There, there are no throwaway people. God specializes in the beautiful, the gifted, the talented. You say, that's not me. I'm not beautiful, gifted, or talented. You are wrong. 
I wish just for a minute you would see yourself as God sees you. And if you saw yourself truly as God sees you, then you would know that God doesn't create junk and he doesn't create the worthless. He creates beautiful, gifted, talented. Henry Nouwen, in a book called Who Are We? Reclaiming Our Christian Identity. He lists five lies, five untruths as it relates to our identity. And the first one is this, this, I am what I have. No, you're not. Joseph didn't have anything. He was extremely poor and he had value and he had worth. The second lie is, I am what I do. No, you're not. Again, Joseph was a carpenter in an era when carpenters were not thought of very highly. Uh, having Being a carpenter on your job resume wasn't going to, to get you in. You're, you're more than what you do. The third lie of Nowens is, I am what other people say of me or think of me. No, you're not. You are what God thinks of you. And what does God think of you? You're his child. You're his sheep. Maybe in the fold, maybe out, out wandering, but you're his sheep. The fourth lie is, I am nothing more than my worst moment. No, you're not. And God doesn't replay over and over again that most stupid thing you've ever done or the most terrible act you've ever committed. God doesn't hit the replay button over and over again. And if you're hitting the replay button over and over again, know this, that's not from God. He puts that in your past and he leaves it there. And the fifth lie, according to Nowen, is I am nothing less than my best moment. Listen, we've all had good moments and bad moments. We've all had, had moments of pride and moments of shame, moments of embarrassment. God loves you for the whole bundle of who you are. What does this story of uh, Joseph's involvement in the Christmas story tell us? It tells us that God knows you, that God loves you, that God cares about you. Don't think for a moment that you have to be rich enough or smart enough or well-spoken enough or, or all together for God to love you. Wrong, 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 wrong. Joseph had none of those things, and yet God chose him. He was the choice to be the earthly father of Joseph. He didn't choose a priest. He didn't choose a doctor. He didn't choose an expert in the law. He didn't choose a businessman. He didn't choose a, a king. He chose Joseph, a nowhere guy from a nowhere town with a nowhere job. It's much the same lesson that, that we learned at the beginning of our, of our David series that we just came out of. If you go all the way back to the very first sermon on potentiality, that's the, the, the passage, it was 1 Samuel 16, when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse. And you remember that because he was to anoint a new king because Saul, the old king, had, had found displeasure with the Lord. So he's going to anoint a new king and all of Jesse's strapping young men come before him and sashay before Samuel. And Samuel's going, not him, not him, not him, not him. Don't you got any others? And Jesse says in so many words, well, it's just... It's just a kid brother. He's out with the sheep. I didn't think you'd want to see him. You know, he's just a, he's just a kid. And, and, and Samuel says, listen, I'm not leaving until he comes. And as soon as David came into that room, then, and of course, God said, that's the one. And you remember the verse, the, the, the familiar verse that we, we read that day is the Lord doesn't look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. And that was true for David, and that's true for Joseph, and that's true for you. That God looks at your heart. In, in Joseph's story, we're going to learn in Matthew 1.19 that Joseph was a righteous man. All those other things, all those other externals, those things that we sometimes get focused on, really didn't matter. What God looked at was the heart, and what he saw in Joseph was a righteous man. What does God see when he looks inside your heart? 
Anybody here broken or weary? Anybody wounded or troubled? The good news is that Jesus came. And the Bible says, by his wounds we are healed. Eat this and rejoice. Do you know anybody that's running away from the Lord, trying their best to escape his loving arms and reach? My dad, you know, I told you, was from a long line of alcoholics. His life was transformed and changed. And because of that, my mom became a Christian. My brothers also pastor my two sisters, and all of our spouses are serving the Lord. My parents have uh, 10 grandchildren. All but one is serving the Lord. And that last one is doing her best to repeat the sins of her great-grandfather and grandmother. And she is running so far. And we pray so much for her. But I want you to know that God loves her more than we do. And he is running fast after her. You see, the good news is that Jesus died for every single person you will ever know. His blood was shed for them. Drink this and rejoice. Lord, we're so thankful that there are no nobodies. There's no sheep that are too troubled, too messed up, too whatever for your love. And that there's only the sheep that are in the fold and the sheep that you are pursuing. And so, Lord, how we pray, if there's any in this room that has never accepted you, that is still testing the waters, help them to see the loving arms of the Savior. Help them to know that you didn't create nobodies, you don't make junk, that we are created in your image and that you have a wonderful plan for each and every one of us. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing Be with us throughout this Christmas season. Help us to keep you the focus of everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.